Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who's, well, he's no doctor and he's no lawyer. Who am I to judge him? Boy, you're going to do what you want to do whatever you are gonna. I'm no angel anyways, myself. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben Ami. So for this episode, we have a special guest. I just quoted her song, What Would Jesus Do? for Wayne's introduction. Her most recent record is called It's a Beautiful Day and I Love You. Please welcome to the podcast, Gillette Johnson. Thank you. That was a beautiful little surprise. <laughs> I, You know, I'm listening to those lyrics. I'm like, there's no way I can't use that for Wayne's intro. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we uh, usually usually I'm picking the lyrics from the album that we're going to talk about. I could have used all sorts of different lyrics, especially probably, I don't know, th- there's some good lyrics off of Raised on Robbery that I probably would have used for his intro. So... <laughs> And he knows exactly which ones I'm talking about because he's laughing right now. All right. <laughs> All right. So premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music. But as we do at the beginning of each episode, I ask the all-important question. So let's start with Wayne. What T-shirt are you wearing? Well, it is the day before St. Patrick's Day, and I have five Dropkick Murphy shirts. So I'm wearing one I have not worn before. It kind of looks like a Celtics emblem, and the stem is like a dagger on the shamrock. Very good. You know what? I even thought about wearing one of my Dropkick Murphys t-shirts, and I didn't do it. So, very good. How about you, Gillette? What uh, what t-shirt are you wearing? So, I'm wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm the Fonz. Love it. With a thumb pointing towards me. Very good. Very good. Yeah. All right. Uh, and I'm wearing a shirt that has absolutely no correlation to Joni Mitchell whatsoever or St. Patty's Day. So I'm wearing my uh, Reconteurs t-shirt. I haven't worn it in forever, so I busted it out. Again, I don't know how it has any correlation. So it's, uh, yeah. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, so Gillette, we got connected because of your PR team. Uh, they pitched your name to me and... and I had remembered you from listening to your album a few years ago. All I ever see in you is me, mm. because um, mostly because your producer was Dave Cobb mm-hmm. for for that album. And um, during that time period, like everything he was touching was was gold, including your album. <laughs> so I was uh, I was. So I was like, okay, yeah, let's let let's do that. And then I listened to your new record and. Look, I'm I'm blown away by your new album. Like I I love it. Thank uh, you. I've been listening too. to it every couple days and not just because you were coming on the podcast, but uh this has been in heavy rotation and it is fantastic. And I'm not just pandering to the guest. Um I really do dig this record. Um Now, I would say this. So, so it's not completely different from the the previous album but so here were some of my notes and then i listened to your episode of uh salute the songbird with one of our former guests maggie maggie rose Rose. and you talk about your journey in the music industry and then it all made sense because this record 
it definitely sounds like you're like, I'm just going to throw it all out there. Swagger. It's full of swagger. <laughs> we were And we were talking before you came on because Wayne was like, the, the new one has swagger. <laughs> That's why I'm wearing my Fawn shirt. <laughs> That's right. You are the Fawn. Absolutely. Um, and, and, Look, I, I will tell all the listeners, so we won't we won't have you rehash your musical journey. They have to go listen to that episode with Maggie because you talk about it, you know, for an hour of, of what your journey has been like. And it's crazy. It's, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's funny. Maggie, Maggie's a friend of mine. And um, it was really pretty. It was a cathartic podcast we don't have to get too into it because we're on your podcast right now but it was a cool thing to be able to talk to a friend in that format and uh, stuff came out of my mouth that i was like oh yeah (laughs) that did happen did you did you did you think at any point maybe i should text maggie and say hey can you leave that one part out or (laughs) um no it was all kind of a blur so i i don't know if i said something that i regret um I'm sure it was fine. I haven't I haven't gotten to listen to the whole thing yet, so um, maybe I'll have some moments where I'm like, uh, but I think I was pretty, I think I was walking the line. I have some practice yeah. doing that. Yeah, and I, I would say this, like, Wayne, who was who the recent guest that we had on where they were, they were like, you know, as soon as I stop giving a crap about the musical industry... Like that was where I kind of found my voice and I just threw it out there and I made the best music that I've, that I've ever made. And I, and I kind of got that feeling from, you know, listening to you of, you know, trying to get out of your contracts and um, like, you know, firing a lot of different managers who just didn't have your best interests at heart at all. Um, And, and now you're doing, this on your own terms and it shows like you know to use wayne's term you got the swagger to go (laughs) along with it well thank thank you for saying that um obviously it means a lot you know you put a lot of blood sweat and tears and um you don't really know if people are gonna connect so it's really cool it's really cool when it does you know how are how are you connecting with people considering that you know we're we're not doing the live music thing right now um Mm -hmm. and i'm and i'm assuming that you were expecting to put this album out last year because you i think you said this was all completed in 2019 right yeah i I was pretty sure that it was going to come out um like early summer probably but that was before the pandemic started and once the pandemic started it was just like clear that plans were just not going to be a thing like we just kind of needed to right let let things be what they were going to be and then at some point we um we figured it was silly to just sit on this body of work it was time to get moving and and to do it according to the way that the world works now so just really um digital which has definitely been um, 
in some ways beautiful because I've been able to get a lot of work done from my home and also take care of my garden and hang out with my cat and you know like there's some domestic bliss happening that doesn't usually happen when you're putting out a record but also it's like you know the whole point of writing songs is to get to play them for people and to like live and breathe your music. It's like a three dimensional thing. You're, you're building a world. You're like writing the songs so that you, so that you have the opportunity to go in a studio and play with other musicians. And then you do that so that the, you have the opportunity to bring that stuff to life and like watch the songs grow and let an audience, you know, change your music in some ways, just by virtue of how they respond and how how people, you know, relate to what you're what you're saying. So, yeah. yeah, it's definitely been an adjustment, and I'm looking forward to what I think is um, probably on its way the return of touring. <laughs> we hope. Yeah. We're we all have our fingers crossed that it's going to get to that point at some point this year so fingers crossed um and for 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 you all who are just hearing this via audio so you can't see gillette's cat is sitting firmly on the top of her chair and is it a he or she it's a she she is sacked out she is looking really comfortable right there so yeah, give her like an hour and a half and then she that's when she's on. When okay. she starts like running like a miniature horse around the house and having like standoffs with ants. It's pretty entertaining. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So so you mentioned the digital thing. Um I just watched your your video for Many Moons. That, mm-hmm. I guess that's a that's a new video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We put it out. A few weeks ago. And and how's the reception been for, for that? People seem to really, really enjoy it, which, um, you know, I love that video. I've, it was, I think it's my favorite video I've ever made, really. Like, um, I mean, I've gotten to work with some amazing people and this, it just, it was so much fun to make. It was such like a feast for the eyes. I got to play with color and I felt really, um, because we've been in quarantine and so in this kind of digital place, the opportunity to get to go and make a music video and perform and be in a room with other creative people was exhilarating. Um, so it's fun to watch that because I know that I was just feeling like a million bucks while we were making it.
you've made a couple of the other videos for some of the songs on the record. I watched your video for Annie as well. Oh, yeah. I love that video, too. I, I didn't pick up on this until I listened to the, the, the Maggie Rose episode. So um, that was written for your husband's ex-girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> That's ballsy. I know. <laughs> See, the thing, about, the thing about it is that I didn't mean to do that. Like, I... So I don't, I don't, I'm not the kind of writer that just, um, like has an idea for a song that they think that they want to write and then they write the song. Like it's, it usually doesn't happen that way. It's usually just like words come out. And then if I'm in my flow and I'm really like letting whatever wants to come out, come out and I'm not trying to control it too much. That's usually a that usually becomes something that I can really stand behind, and then that usually means I don't know what I'm about to say, and so by the time it gets to the point where I'm actually talking about a real person who happens to be my husband's ex girlfriend, it's too late. I'm just like, well, the song is already written. I didn't. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, thankfully, it's a song that is totally like praising and. In, yeah. You know, it's in gratitude for her, and she's heard the song and and has expressed that she loves it. So, thankfully, it it ended well. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I was listening. I was so when I when I re listened to it, I was like, oh, this is so Kaylee Shore of of Gillette to to, to do this. <laughs> um, can you remind me about Kaylee Shore? Is she in country? I don't know a lot about. Modern so she music. she's also a friend of Maggie's, right? Um, yes. Which which is which is how we got hooked up with with Maggie. She introduced us to to Maggie. Um, she was on our podcast what year and a half ago, a long time ago. And so she's she's in the country world, but not really. Okay. Like it's more. I don't even know how to how you would. How would you define Kaylee? Like she's just badass. That's the, that. If there's a genre of badass, Kaylee's in it. Oh, cool. Yeah. So um, all you have to do is listen to um, "Fu Forever." Okay. And and that that pretty much defines Kaylee Short. So cool. Okay. Well, that'll be on my listening list for okay. tomorrow. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your producer. So you're, you worked with Joe, how do you pronounce Joe's last name? Pisapia. Pisapia. Mm -hmm. So he was part of Guster. He was, yeah. And he is now doing the producing thing? Or is he also doing his own music? 
as well. Well, he does he does write his own music, and he's a really beautiful songwriter, and he puts out records under his own name. Um, he came to Nashville many, many years before I did, and he came here with his brother and his best friend, um, and they were in a band called Joe Mark's Brother. Okay. And then um, he, I think he started producing records around that time, and then just like, you know, it was kind of an odd breeze that blew him into the Guster world for about seven years. And he wrote on some of their bigger records and then okay. found his way back to his producer world and hat. Um, and I just, he's like, Nashville is such a small community, especially the east side of town. It's like, it's, it feels like this kind of family of, really musicians that really believe in each other and support each other. It's pretty cool. Um, and Joe, I'd seen play and he was in the family, but we weren't really friends. We didn't really know each other, but I just, I, sometimes I get feelings about people just based on certain things that I hear from them that I can just tell I, that we would be a good fit. And, I just, I'm such a fan of his artistry and his, his songwriting is really, really something else. Um, and that made me want him to produce me just because if you can write songs that incorporate all of the harmonic sensibilities and the kind of like, uh, what I, I can't even describe what it is so much, then, then I feel like I can trust you in the studio with my songs. Um, so we connected and yeah, I mean, I feel like I found a partner that I'm, I'm going to be able to work with for a long time. He's, he's just so open. Um, and not, he has vision and he's focused, but, um, it really feels like I I don't feel the need to like please him the way that I think sometimes you do in the studio with a producer where you're like, did I do it well enough? Like, do you like me? Like, I feel, um, I feel really free to be myself and, um, free to kind of take the reins a little bit with Joe too, because he's really generous in the studio. Yeah. And I, I, again, I think you, you need that freedom to do the art. Mm-hmm. Which I think translates in in your in your album. Mm-hmm. Um, Wayne, you said you uh, you listened, got some favorite tracks off of the album. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> I shouldn't go anywhere. Um, that was my favorite. Uh, cool. Jealous in that I did love. What would Jesus do off this one and off the previous one? I love the 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 Stevie Nicks vibe on Love Is Blind, and then of course Cameron and Last Bus Out on the first album. Oh, nice. Last bus out. I haven't played that song in a very long time. And why not? Um, that's a good question. I do, I do like that song. I don't know. It just it it was it wasn't the like heavy rotation song. Sometimes it just happens. Like it's not really about whether I like them or not. It's a funny process. But I'm starting to dig up some of the first record songs again and. I think I'm going to start playing those live more. When I when I made my second record, I I and toured it. I'd like I didn't play one song from my first record on tour. Um and I think it was just the place that I was in just trying to make a different statement artistically, but 
It's cool. I feel like in making this third record, it kind of ties the loop a little bit and makes me feel like it's not such a random thing to bring out songs from the first record. Right, right. All right, my favorite song, Forgiver. Oh. Love it. in your bio so I'm, I'm reading I, I, I was reading your bio because it said this album carries a harmonic and emotional heft in the vein of Patty Griffin's Flaming Red or Joni Mitchell's Court and Spark which hey we're going to talk about one of those yeah. um, but I, I was I was listening to Forgiver and I'm like I'm wondering are you a fan of Liz Fair? You know I I haven't really dug into her catalog very much. I, I've been a fan of what I've heard, but um, I can't really speak about her from an educated place. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I was I was curious because I, I felt a, a Liz Fair vibe oh, cool. uh, to some to some of the songs, and that is, um, that's a compliment. Well, Absolutely. thank compliment. you. I'll take it as such. Yeah. All right. Um, so I just gave it away. So... Tell us what record we're going to talk about for your episode. We're going to talk about Joni Mitchell's Court and Spark, her sixth studio release. That's right. It's only a matter of time, Wayne, before we do Flaming Red, though. You know it is. (laughs) So we've already done three Patty Griffin episodes. And you haven't done Flaming Red. We have not done Flaming Red yet. Wow. And are you guys fans of Flaming Red? Uh, I am. I love the record. I'm not. Not. I haven't listened to it yet. Oh, oh so. you haven't heard it. Before this, before this podcast, I wasn't. I wasn't as Americana as I am now. I see. I'm catching up to do. Yeah, I've I've rubbed off on him with the Americana stuff. So, but Flaming Red isn't. I don't think it's an Americana record. It is so. not. It is not, and in fact, um, so the first Patty Griffin that we did was Silver Bell. Mm, I love that. Mm. Absolutely. That's not really an Americana album either. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did um, A Thousand Kisses, which mm-hmm. that definitely is. That's definitely an Americana mm-hmm. album. And then we did Living With Ghosts, which Wayne was not a part of. <laughs> He was on vacation, was one on of vacation. his many vacations during during that one. But um, that's that's very Americana as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So was was there anything else that you thought about doing, or was it like, nope, we're doing Joni? Um, 
I think Joni just felt like the right thing to do. I mean, okay. I, I'm such a huge fan of hers and I have been for so long. Um, and this album, like Court and Spark influenced, uh, it's a beautiful day and I love you in a lot of ways. So it felt appropriate. Okay. Yeah. And this is not our first time doing a, uh, Joni Mitchell. Album. Not surprised. We did blue. Uh, mm-hmm. Liz, Liz Longley picked that for her episode. So that was her fourth album. So blue was her fourth album that was released in 71. This one was released in 74. That one is very folk rock. And mm-hmm. I would say that for this one, there definitely is that evolution into more of the pop world. But you also hear her jazz influences starting to show, which is definitely going to rear its head um, for, <laughs> for, for subsequent albums. Some... Mm, I'll be quite honest, not great. Um, and others, uh, I dig. So mm-hmm. yeah, her, her, her product in the eighties was, and nineties was kind of a mixed bag for me. Some of them I really liked and others. Yeah. Not so much. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I feel the same way. Yeah. Uh, have you had a chance to see her live? Oh, no. I- okay. She is definitely, uh, that would be a dream. I mean, I don't think she plays very often. She's certainly not a touring artist anymore. She stopped being a touring artist in the eight, the eighties, maybe even the seventies. So I saw her in 1997, um, and it was a very limited run. Um, so initially, I was supposed to see Bob Dylan and Van Morrison together. Van was being Van. He was drunk. Well, he was being Van where he was like, I don't think I want to go on tour um, with another legend. And Mm. so initially he bowed out. I had already bought tickets because I wanted to see Van. I was in a big, well, Wayne, Wayne can attest. I was in a very big... Van Morrison rabbit hole in the 90s that was, he was my guy and um Wayne's just shaking his head I don't I don't care <laughs> and then uh so he bowed out and then Joni Mitchell got attached to the bill in to replace him and like I was super pissed off because I didn't really want to see Joni I wanted to, I wanted see, to Van. see Van yeah and then Van, a couple weeks later, then says, you know, I'm rethinking that. Why don't we all do it together? Wow. And so I saw all three of them together at the Gorge in George Washington. And it was, um, it's still one of my favorite, favorite concerts of all time. Wow. That's amazing. And Joni was way better than Van. Nice. Of course she was. She's the best. She's like infallible. And this is probably blasphemy for me to say this, but she was better than Bob, too. Oh, that's not a surprise either. You know what I read today about Dylan? Well, they have a funny dynamic, Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan. But I read on the Internet today that um, when Joni played (laughs) Court and Spark, did you read read this on Wikipedia? (laughs) 
Yeah, when Joni when Joni Mitchell played Court and Spark for Bob Dylan, he fell asleep or pretended to at least. <laughs> yeah. Throw some shade on her. Yeah, he was awake. <laughs> he was just being Bob. I mean, I just think that all those guys, like, I think he and Leonard Cohen and all the guys, like, that you know were reigning supreme, who deservedly, you know, so were were killing it. I think they all knew that Joni was better than them and they didn't know what to do with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And she knew it too. And she told them and they especially didn't know what to do with that. Uh, I can't argue yeah. with that. She, like I say, she was producing her own records, which in like, even on blue, which was unheard of in 71 for a, a female pop artist to be doing her own stuff. And like, I've completely owned up to the fact that I, I never heard Joni Mitchell. I was in, I heard her name thrown around all the time. I probably heard, you know, the big hits on adult contemporary when I was very young. But I mean, when I started listening to the radio, she wasn't on the radio anymore. And she was never, we were never in the same circles. And so hearing her name all the time, she just became overrated to me. And I, I saw her on the top 50 guitarist list and I thought this is ridiculous. And we listened to blue and I, I even, I owned up to it on that episode. I take everything I ever said back. She's probably my favorite female songwriter. Um, I think, and I think she's an amazing guitar player. What she does with an acoustic guitar is 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 unbelievable. The sounds that she makes with them, like I say, I I am a huge fan. And I forget about listening to other things. And so listening to this, this was great. I still think Blue is probably my favorite. It's one of my very favorite albums. But this was this is this is really good. Like everybody should have been scared of Joni. Wayne, yeah, Wayne's, Wayne's confession on the blue episode made Liz <laughs> cry. <laughs> you made Liz Aww. cry, Wayne. Um, That's cool. I guess they're, it's tears of joy, yes. so at least it wasn't, you know, the other kind of <laughs> yes. um, Yeah. All right. So this was a commercial success for her as well. It, wa- it peaked out at number two. I meant to go look to see what prevented her from being number one, and I forgot to do that. Hmm. And... Critically, this is still considered one of the greatest records of all time. I looked on the, of course, I looked on the Rolling Stones 500 Greatest Albums of All Time, Wayne, because I can't help just yourself. do that. Um, it's now 110 on the 2020 list. Hmm. Blue is her top album on the Rolling Stone, top 500. Any guesses on what number? 30-something? Oh, no. Mm. Try number three. Oh, yeah, it is. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. I think it was in the 30s back in the 2012 list, but um, Hmm. also nominated for a number of Grammy Awards. She did win one Grammy Award for this album um, for her arrangement for Down to You. So mm-hmm. I want to throw out the other nominees for the other things that she was nominated for. And let me see if you guys can guess who won for each of these. So she was nominated for Record of the Year. Here are the other nominees. You guys ready? Ready. Yeah. Olivia Newton-John's I Honestly Love You, which that's a great song. And I don't care what you say, Wayne, because I know you're going you're gonna to make fun of me. I'm not going to make fun of you. Uh, Elton John's Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. Love that song. Roberta Flack's Feel Like Making Love. Wow. Joni Mitchell's Help Me. 
And then Midnight at the Oasis. Maria Mulder. Do you guys do you guys know Midnight at the Oasis? No. Did it win? Go 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 listen to it afterwards. It's it's so seventies. All right. What do you, what do you what do you guys think won? Elton John. Yeah, that's what I think too. I honestly love you huh? from Olivia Newton John. That wow. Record of the year, nineteen seventy five. All right. I don't even think I know that song. What? I know. Oh, you got maybe I do, and I just don't. It's just just keep in mind it's complete adult contemporary cheese. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. Olivia was trying really hard to be Jolene. That's got that, it. That's that's what I think with that song. Um, all right, album of the year. Let's see if you guys can can figure this out. So, Cord and Spark, of course. Caribou from Elton John. Band on the Run, Paul McCartney and Wings. John Denver's Back Home Again, and then mm. Stevie Wonder's Fulfillingness First Finale. Wow, yeah. that's a pretty stacked deck. Yeah, there's some heavy hitters in that one. What do you think, Wayne? I'll go Stevie Wonder. Album of the Year. Stevie Wonder. John Denver. Oh, did Stevie yep. win? Stevie won. Yeah. That and that had that had um, Boogie on Reggae oh, wow. Woman on it, and you haven't done nothing. Man, I had to listen to that the other day. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's so good. Wayne, we still haven't done a Stevie Wonder episode. Not yet. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. All right. Uh, best female pop performance. So Joni Mitchell uh, got got nominated for. Court and Spark, so the entire album, I guess. Uh, Olivia Newton-John, I Honestly Love You. Roberta Flax, Feel Like Making Love. Carol King's Jazz Man. And this one, I have no idea who they are. Cleo Lane for Cleo Lane Live at Carnegie Hall. Any I, I don't know who Cleo Lane is. Okay, who wins? It's not Joni. I'm going to say Roberta Flack. Wayne? I'll go Olivia Newton-John if she was already able to win. Yeah, it was Olivia. Olivia Newton-John beat Roberta Flack and Carol King and Joni Mitchell <laughs> and the yeah. person we don't know. Wow. Uh-huh. And Cleo. Cleo. Yeah. All right. Uh, enough with the awards. All right. Let's talk about personnel on this record. This is pretty stacked as far as personnel goes. So, of course, Joni, Tom Scott. You guys know Tom Scott on the Woodwinds and the Reeds? Not really. Not really? Uh, Tom Scott was a big jazz guy. Uh, Larry Carlton. Uh, Larry Carlton is on so many 70s records back in, back in the day. Um, longtime Steely Dan guitarist. Mm-hmm. Uh, great jazz guitar. So again, you you kind of get the feeling with Tom Scott and Larry Carlton, who were both really heavy in in the jazz. Um, you kind of saw where Joni was going mm-hmm. with her with her music, and then we'll talk about some of the additional personnel as we as we go through. So um, Jose Feliciano plays on one song. Mm-hmm. Robbie Robertson from the band plays on one song. David Crosby and Graham Nash. Are on a couple uh, a couple songs providing the the backing vocals. Um, 
Do you guys realize that Cheech and Chong are on, is yeah. on this album? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Crazy. And as far as the technical personnel, you you mentioned this already, Wayne. Who is the producer on this one? Joni Mitchell. It's Joni Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Did have a couple other people doing the engineering, so she wasn't doing everything her, herself. So Henry, Henry Louie and Ellis Sorkin uh, are the engineers on this. Now, I mentioned that um, this came out in 74. Um, she spent most of 1973 working on this. So this was not something that she just went into the record studio and, you know, turned around in six weeks, which was pretty typical mm-hmm. in the 70s. I, I'm curious on how much time she actually did spend in the recording studio. Anybody doing enough research to, to tell me? I So I should know this. I don't. I, I read that book, Reckless Daughter, and they go pretty in-depth in it, but um, I'm conflating this time with when she wrote uh, a previous record, so no, that was not a helpful answer. <laughs> <laughs> All good. All good. All right, so um, let's, let's go track by track. So as a reminder, our scoring is going to be based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this one? Eleven. Which means our top song is going to get 11 points. Nick's favorite, 10 points on Dan to the lowest score of one. Um, did you hear the glee and delight in his in his voice when he said el- just true. 11? <laughs> I didn't say just 11, but it is just 11. We, we've, done, we've done some episodes lately that have been marathons. So what was the last episode, The Modest Mouse? How many was that? Like 15, 16? 15. Oh, wow. 16, and then, technically, but we, we got it down to 15. And then we did Ryan Adams' Cold Roses before that, and that was <sighs> 18 songs. <laughs> you sound so not thrilled about that. <laughs> it's just long. It's just long. It's just a, just I know. Just make two records. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's kick this off. This is title track. This is Court and Spark. The coins he made in people's park And we're looking for a woman to court And spark It seemed like he read my mind He saw me mistrusting him and still acting kind He saw how I worried Sometimes Wayne, get get us get us started. Tell tell me about the um, tell me about the story here for this song. Well, and, uh, and that's what I love about Joni Mitchell is like we've done a lot of and just we did recently did Modest Mouse and Isaac Brock uses a lot of poetic phrasing, but to me Joni Mitchell has like a prose style. She's almost like a short story writer with all these these great choices of words. Like Court and Spark is a great. That's just a great image. Like you're you're. You're, you're lighting a fire like you're exciting somebody like it's not just trying to date him but yeah from the line of uh love came to my door with a sleeping roll and a madman's soul like that's uh, that's awesome but the sleeping roll reminds me this is a guy who's come from her past like out of town or something and he's trying to get her back and she's 
she's not super into it, but he and he's, he makes money by he's obviously a musician. He's playing he's on the busker. sidewalk for spare change. And then ultimately, I, I one of my favorite parts is she gets she uses all this religious imagery imagery in that one episode or that one section towards the end. To, and it really conveys how strongly she feels about this guy. But she lives in L.A. and he's trying to get her to go back somewhere else. And she just can't do it. Yeah. But all of that in like three and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gillette, what do you got on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, her ability to succinctly tell a story that is so also innately poetic is pretty unbelievable. And this is a great example of that. Like her, there's just no fat anywhere that needs to be trimmed. Um, I mean, I, I'm really interested in Joni's life. So I read into each one of these stories a lot and think about her like leaving Canada and having, you know, her husband at the time follow her and this kind of like ultimately constant quest for independence and love simultaneously. And I feel like the song is one of many examples of that struggle for her. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I kind of get the feeling that she's probably taken one particular snapshot of something that's happened and then she's incorporated some personal aspect into it to weave this. I feel very, I'll, I'll use Hemingway for another song coming up again, the economy of words that Mm -hmm. Hemingway always, always used, you know, that, that sometimes less is more. And I feel like Joni does a lot of that as well, but I think she does a really good job of pulling the the personal aspects into it and making it ambiguous enough that you that yeah with I, I I'm with you Gillette where I look into on some of these songs and go okay what part of this is the 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 fiction and what part of this is the nonfiction mm-hmm. yeah. Let's get scores. So, Wayne, what do you got? A seven. And I'm matching your seven. And then, Gillette, your score? Mine was a six. Okay. All right. Next song is Help Me. was this is Joni's biggest hit single peaked at number seven in June of 1974 um, and it's her only top 10 hit so crazy that's crazy here here's here's how I how I remember this song the best Wayne Prince sings about it in the ballad of Dorothy Parker oh wow yeah. yeah, you need to listen to that. I gave you more homework. Indeed. Uh, yeah, so he makes a reference of uh, 
uh, and it was Joni singing, help me, I think I'm falling. <laughs> yeah. Anything lyrically that we want to talk about? Why, why was this the hit? I mean, I, I just think it's hard to dissect that. I think it's just such an immediate song, at least for me. I love this song so much. It's like super embedded into my being. Like lyrically, uh, you could pick apart every single line and see why I think it's genius but like it's also just got kind of that indescribable like infectious quality to it you know I think you talk about what's what's his name Steely Dan guitar player guy oh the guy from here Carl Larry Carlton Larry Carlton I think that like this song reminds me of Asia the record in a way, like I feel like they're partnered and it's so, I think it lives really interestingly in its time period. And I think that Joni was a master of that for a long time, being able to make something that felt so incredibly hers and brand new and challenging, but it also sat really beautifully in its time. So it could be received. And I think that the song in particular was maybe her ultimate golden moment of that of being in touch with her insides and the environment um but i I love the bridge on this song so much lyrically and melodically like doesn't it feel good we are sitting there talking or lying there not talking didn't it feel good you dance with a lady in her hole with a hole in her stocking didn't it feel good like it's just it i don't know why i like it so much but it just it it just Oh, I love singing this song because singing those words feels like it's it's just like it's kind of sex too at the same time and you don't always get kind of like un un uncomplicated sex from Joni and when she does give that to you it's exhilarating. Right. And I, I, so I love the last verse. The last verse is is everything mm-hmm. it, you know both of us flirting around flirting and flirting and then she's got to throw in the hurting too we love our loving but not like we love our freedom well she ends she ends almost every verse with that though yeah. that's the to me that's because i think part of what i didn't i guess want to like about the song is it is more radio friendly especially for the mid-70s um you know the horns and there's there's electric guitar and it's very far away from that folk kind of thing from blue but you just can't deny it and the way she tells the story again is it's it seems almost like it, there's an inside story that she's not telling so she's moving between something specific to a to one her and another person and then she's kind of dancing back out into all of us mm-hmm. and and it's she's going between this this part where you're that exhilaration of 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 falling in love and all of the you know, that comes with it, the excitement and also then pointing out that it's, you know, once you do that, then you're, you're no longer necessarily as free as you were. I mean, she's, it's just, it's brilliant. Like I say, I didn't want to like it as much as I absolutely do. (laughs) Wayne, have you heard, um, cactus tree? Not that I can recall. If that, I mean, I, if I had to pick one Joni Mitchell song that was my favorite song, it would be that one. And I think you would, I think you will really enjoy it. I'm Look for write it. that down. We're yeah. all getting homework tonight. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> all right. 
All right, um, this is my top song. Uh, Gillette, what's your what's your score? Yeah, eleven. Okay, Wayne. Ten. Close. Okay. All right, we were that close to being unanimous. Hasn't happened in a while, Wayne. You screwed it up. All right. Um, all right. Next song, Free Man in Paris. Did you guys read the same research that I did that it, this is about David Probably. Geffen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. He was in Paris with Joni and Robin and Dominique Robertson, which Robbie will make an appearance here coming coming up soon. Um, Geffen's not mentioned by name, but it sounded like while he was on quote unquote vacation, he was working the whole time. Well, there's another part of that though. Okay. That Geffen. Well, this is about Joni singing about Geffen. Um, maybe he was bisexual, but at least being not just the straight man that he felt he needed to be in America. And Paris was his opportunity to be his whole self and to kind of let his hair down. Yeah. So he, they were a little more understanding and france in the early 70s or everywhere else besides america or everywhere. yeah everywhere else besides america but that's but the i was a free man in paris i felt unfettered and alive part yeah. i mean this i read that i i read that from reckless daughter it, it could be untrue but no yeah and i it makes complete sense and like i say what i like about the title is when you hear free man in paris i'm i'm thinking like expats, you know, and all of this, and just all of these other kind of connotations in a different direction. And then to even put it in that context, but also the context of this guy, because I think we assume that people who are famous and wealthy are happy. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, just that one line about um, deciding one's future to decide. I mean, the guy was, he's one of the biggest music moguls ever. And so... You know, I'm sure he's a decent person and knowing that this person comes in and if you don't hear a hit out of him and you pass on him, their dream is crushed and they may never be anything like that's got a weigh on you to, to just to be away from that to some degree. And then you couple it with that idea that, you know, in America, he's a successful, you know, head of a record label and he has to portray this one way in Hollywood. And and that's that's not who he really is. And so to be free of just all of that. Uh, it 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 reaches those connotations that are bigger than you know. I don't want to. I'm not necessarily like slavery, but I mean, he's has to be somebody else when he's when he's here and now in Paris. He gets to at least for a while be who he really want who he wants to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, 
this was a single went to number 22 on the billboard hot 100 and this is where you've got some some guest appearances so crosby and nash are providing some backing vocals and then this is the one where jose feliciano is uh playing guitar on as well all right anything else lyrically anything just the way she the way she's able to you know portray this 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 i mean mover and the shaker i mean he makes things happen and just the lines about you know stoking the star making machinery i mean all of the lines about you know what is the uh dealing dreamers and telephone screamers i mean he's she's using all these great Mm -hmm. lines just i mean she just gets like she's pound for pound she just gets the best punches in with these words these the the word choices she makes yeah 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 i agree i don't know if i could say it better all right wayne oh this is your score this is my favorite song this is my 11 all right Mm. and gillette um seven all right this is my six all right, next song is People's Parties. And I'm just going to throw this over to Gillette because I see your score. Yeah, I mean, um, this song, it, it's, it taps into something, I think, really tender about how I feel <laughs> most of the time um, and how I, and probably why I, I connected with Joni Mitchell at such a young age. Just this kind of longing to belong but feeling like you're kind of an observer and and like there there's just a scene to be observed and that that's to be celebrated and to be talked about and to be written about but there's this just kind of like there's just this ache to the whole song and she just is able to bring you there so clearly like you can see her at the corner of a room with a bunch of you know highfalutin hollywood people and she's she just really isn't one of them and you you just know that about her so clearly and the lyrics on this song are so beautiful i mean laughing and crying you know it's the same release so um wait let me find it yeah Photo beauty gets attention, then her eye paints running down. She's got a rose in her teeth and a lampshade crown. One minute she's so happy, then she's crying on someone's knee, saying, laughing and crying. You know it's the same release. Oh, I love that so much. Um, <laughs> and then and then the end, well, I guess it happens right there when it just like the background vocals become really like kind of ethereal and feminine and they take you to this 
kind of pop place, but it, it opens it up. So then that like ache becomes also a celebration and then laughing and crying, you know, it's the same release is sonically represented in such a cool way too. Um, yeah. And then finishing the song with the refrain of laughing it all away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Wayne, how often have you used the line of, I told you when I met you, I was crazy? <laughs> I don't need to say it. I have, I think I got a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Wayne, any, anything uh, you know before what? we I get I love scores? her as a guitar player, and I love the opening of this with those these really almost percussive big, big strums and then the, the little single note stuff in between. And I do, I, like I say, I love how she... She paints, she tells this story of this big Hollywood party and she's at it and this young starlet's at it and there's these other people that she names, but she's, she's, she's recounting, like she focuses more on the young starlet, which I think is interesting. I mean, she probably, she came to California when she was pretty young and she's a very attractive woman. Um, but the, you can feel the, how anxious and uncomfortable that these parties make her. Like that's one of the things that comes out in, in the story. Uh, that I just like say who who can do that? It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Gillette, what's your score? I think I gave this one a ten. I think this is my yeah. second favorite one. Yeah. Wayne, your score? A five. Uh, there's a, there are there is a I think there's a one specific part where sometimes when she's telling the story, she has almost too many words to jam into four beats, and so it feels it'll have this rushed feeling to it. But I really, I'm just trying to find something because I love all these songs. Yeah, I don't like my score for this one. What was your score? It's a four. Oh. But like I said, I don't feel good about it. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, next song is The Same Situation. This song blends in from the previous song. There's, I don't know what. Is there a reason why you separate the two songs instead of just making a really long, like, prog type of longer song, or is it, or is it really two songs, and they were just trying to do something funky with the production? I think it's two songs. I don't think they. I mean, thematically, they don't seem to link up. Okay. It's right. best I can tell. Yeah. Just curious. Yeah. All right. Uh, Wayne, what do you got on this from a lyrical standpoint? Well, lyrically, there, the same situation, I like it because I guess it feels like it has two meanings. Like she's saying, she's talking specifically to someone um, that this is the same situation. Um, that, you know, the guy's not, he's... Uh, He's not dedicating as much time to her the relationship as, as she is possibly cheating even. And so, but then she also, there's lines where it, where she makes it feel like it's much more about like all of us are in the same situation. We're all looking for love and we're all getting tied up in, in, in these achievements. And I say my favorite line is, our favorite lines is definitely with heaven full of astronauts and the Lord on death row. <laughs> yeah, that's good. 
Gillette, what do you got on this one? I think it's beautifully it's beautifully written. This song has always, I mean, I gave it a five. Ooh, sorry. I gave it away a little bit earlier. <laughs> no, it's all good. It, it's all good. It's all good. It is. It's one of the songs on the record that I, I think because it comes after people's parties, I, I still am living in people's parties world a little bit. And, um, it feels like a little bit of an interlude to me in the middle of the record. Um, so it doesn't, I, there aren't as many kind of like sticking points for me, honestly, lyrically. I, I sometimes have no idea what she's talking about, honestly. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. And that the reason why I said, is this one long song is because I felt like thematically it's kind of the same message, especially with her um, ending it with, you know, caught in my struggle for higher achievements and my search for love that don't seem to cease. Mm -hmm. Like there's still that yearning that just, it's, it's still there. Like you can't find that, that happiness that you're searching for. There's, even though there's all these wonderful things that are being thrown at you, you still can't, still can't, uh, land on that happiness so mm -hmm. all right uh this is my three wayne and i gave this my one and i like i say i think i love her as a guitar player and this was a piano song right after a, a couple of, of really good guitar songs yeah and i think that affected it okay and then gillette yeah i gave it a five um i I may, I question my five on it, honestly. <laughs> it's all good. We're, we all do that. All right. Uh, next song is Car on a Hill. So let me just throw this out there. At first, I kind of hated this song mm. because I felt like the long music interlude between the first. <sighs> That's the only part about mm. it I don't like. Okay, let me tell let me tell you the reason why I warmed up on this. So the interlude between the first chorus and the second verse, it seemed too long to me, and then I kind of got it after a few listens because that's how the narrator's kind of feeling that there's all these starting and stoppings and there's this anxiety of, is he going to show up? And I felt like she's like, this is how I'm feeling. Guess what? Now you as the listener of this song, you're going to, you're going to feel that anxiety of, am I going to start again singing? And I, whether or not that was her intention that's how I interpreted it, and I, and I was like, "Oh, mm -hmm. that's that's genius." So, I don't know. I, I may be completely reading more into it than is really necessary, but um, that's what I do, Wayne. And, and that makes sense because, like I say, the whole thing takes place parked in a car waiting for somebody. So 
you know, there yeah. are going to, I mean, she's listening to the radio and listening to sirens. And so it's completely understandable that there would be a long pause of absolutely mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or the, just the music on the radio. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think what I love about this song is the, I guess a couple of lines that stand out to me is he makes friends easy. He's a real good talker. Like this is early in a relationship. She's sitting in a car parked across the street from his house, waiting for him to show up. And both those qualities, which sound good are also really good for picking up women. So, I mean, she's not, she's not completely sure what's happening. Like she's trying not to let it get the best of her or, or worry too much about it but she is clearly aware Mm -hmm. of it yeah yeah i i love i love the chorus of the song so much um just sonically the climbing 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 the hill it just hits me in like exactly the place that i want to be hit um so and almost be that that anxious you know musical beginning primes me for that like there is that sweet release of the chorus that when it comes in you're just like oh this is the best song on the record um Mm -hmm. another little tidbit from reckless daughter which may or may not be true is uh the guy who wrote that book claims that she wrote this about david crosby which is interesting especially because he sang on the record because she had she had like you know a little bit of a I'm like a Joni gossip nerd. I don't get gossipy about anybody else but Joni Mitchell. <laughs> I think, yeah, James Taylor, I think, came up a lot in, when we talked about yes. Blue. Yes, it did. <laughs> I mean, the, these these romances are, are super linked to these records. I mean, they're part of, they're, they seem to be part of them. Um, but, yeah, I guess they had this kind of like, friendship that never quite turned into a full-fledged romance and then she, you know she started dating um Graham Nash so that was nipped in the bud but it's interesting to kind of hear the tension of these people that are clearly still in her world and she's talking about them and she's making music with them and she does that with her bandmates too and you know, as somebody who was in a relationship with my guitar player at one time, I can I can relate to that kind of like um, there's an unspoken like um, I want you to feel the pain of this and sing it with me kind of thing. That's so Stevie Nicks right there. <laughs> yeah. So Stevie Nicks. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. This is my nine. Wayne, your score. Also my nine. I love the way it starts with that jazzy, funky opening. And I think the background harmonies are just used for maximum effect. I picked nine, too. All right. So unanimous nines. All right. Next song, Down to You. In the morning, there are lovers in the street. They look so high. You brush against a stranger and you both apologize. Old friends seem indifferent, you must have brought that on. Old bonds have broken down. Love is gone. Ooh, love is gone. Written on your spirit, this sad song. Love is gone. 
And as I made mention, this was the uh, this was the Grammy Award winner for mm. her for best arrangement accompanying vocalist. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know if that Grammy Award is still being thrown out there. Yeah. Um, what What do you got on this one, Wayne? Oh, this is the one that grew on me. Like I remember when I scored the was trying to trying to score the record, and I I kind of did it as I was listening to the, you know through the the first or second time, and I ended up I had three songs left, and I so that was obviously one, two, and three, and then I looked at this one, and I'm like, there's no way I can do that. Like I I just like this, and it just kept the more I listened to it, the more I like it. I I definitely like the idea of it's it all comes down to you. Um, you know, you have the ability to go to be good or bad. It's, you know, to find love, to not find love. Like some of the lines about just like the ambiguousness in each of those lines where you're, you're a kind person, you're a cold person. Um, everything comes and goes. Pleasure moves on too early and trouble leaves too slow. But like you're a brute, you're an angel, you're you crawl, you fly. She's like just from one end of the spectrum to the other. We all have these this ability to to. Like say to make it work or to not make Doubt it work, as well. but that that great gospel kind of feel to it, um, and it kind of comes and goes, like, or it gets more or less in different parts, but yeah. really helps it. And longest song on the record as well, mm-hmm. at five minutes thirty nine seconds. Gillette, anything on this one? Yeah, I really love this song. Um, yeah, it just. Uh, you know, parlaying off of what Wayne was saying. <laughs> um, I mean, to me, it's it's about understanding that the only thing that we can control is our reaction to whatever is around us. And she does such a beautiful job of talking about shadow shadows and people and and the spectrum of humanity and i think this song really clearly paints her point of view like i think i understand her you know her philosophy through this song and i think it's beautiful and i agree with it um the outro of the song is crazy the musical outro, or it's—I guess it happens before the last verse, but does it? Maybe I'm remembering that wrong, but yeah, I mean, you can really see that she's starting to lean into her desire to make avant-garde music. I mean, I think maybe she's always had that desire. Maybe she wouldn't put it that way, but the song seems yeah. to kick her in a way into the future of her career which did take her sometimes to places that um felt a little bit less fun but you get a little preview yeah 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 for sure all right um what was your score on this one eight yeah all right wayne a six okay and this is my eight as well all right just like this train is next Love 
just kind of alluded to the jazz stuff. This is definitely jazzy. Mm-hmm. L- lots of jazz arrangements. Um, my biggest production criticism for this album is on this song. Like, they kind of start doing a fade out, and there's a really great ending to it. Like, I felt like they ended it great, but yet it was the volume was already starting to fade out. I'm like, no, don't do that. <laughs> um, anyways, a lot again, a lot, lot of great lyrics on this one. Gillette, um, anything stand out on the lyrics for this one? Um, yeah, I mean, oh, sour grapes, I lost my heart. That's so beautiful and simple. Um, I can't find my goodness because I lost my heart. Um, I mean, there's so many. I'm trying to pick them out while we're here. My brain kind of doesn't <laughs> work that fast. Um, and it's late, too. So yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I really dig... The, I, this song has grown on me over the years. I, I started listening to this record when I was, like, probably 13, and I think the back four songs on it felt less accessible to me, but this song has become more in my... more embedded in my bones. And I think that that, that payoff at the end of each chorus can't find your goodness because you've lost your heart. feels so guttural and um, vulnerable. It really makes the song for me. Yeah. Wayne, anything on this one? I, I love that verse with the old man sleeping on his bags and women with te- with that teased up kind of hair. Um, me and Ben grew up in the 80s, so that that conjures up its own images. But I mean... Back when we, you and, and I the, both had hair. Yeah. yeah, and the kids get Cokes and chocolate bars. I mean, there's a thin man smoking a fat cigar. I, I, I don't know why, because I think that doesn't have as much to do about trains, and I thought the train analogy got overused. I like this song more initially than I, than I did uh, mm. towards the end. I could say I think the train, it was the train analogy got too heavy, mm. but uh, I, still, I still really like this song a lot. So it had nothing to do with um, the line of watching your hairline recede? My vein dark. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't watch that. Okay. <laughs> if people don't haven't seen pictures of Wayne and I, we are both follically <laughs> challenged at this point in our lives. Just so. in this section here, in this middle right here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's fine uh, on the sides. Yeah, yeah. All right, Costanza. All right. Uh, what's your What's your score? Ah, uh, this was my two. All right, Gillette. This was my. Th- four all right this is my five next song is raised on robbery And this was actually, believe it or not, this was a single. I know, it's the first single. That's crazy to me. And it didn't do it. So it peaked at number 65 on the Hot 100, which 
when I listen to this and I think of the context of 1974, 1975, it seems like a really odd choice for a single, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like anything else on this record. I, I guess the bulk of it, it starts out with that kind of jazzy Andrew sisters thing. And then when it gets like to the voice of the the main character, it, it gets really rock and roll, like mm-hmm. uh, like old time fifties, you know, Chuck Berry rock and roll. But this is another one. This one at one point, I I I thought this was going to be my favorite song because mm-hmm. I I think how different it is was something I liked about it. And the story she tells here is almost pulp. I mean, the the reference to the the maple leaves I think is cool because it paints the guy is out of town real quickly because he's at the Empire Hotel in New York. Um, but then that line raised on robbery. I mean, it it tells you more about the character than than you would think you could put in that in in three words because she's not just a prostitute like she's a hustler like he might get robbed like she's been right. this is her life like she's grown up like this this isn't new i mean even that verse about the the we had a little money once when they you know they eminent domain took their house and they got paid off and they bought a car and he ended up drinking it all and leaving i mean this this whole this lady's whole life is in here in, and some lines pack more punch, like Raised on Robbery packs more punch than any of the other lines I think about it. But um, just like I say, this is a this is an interesting story that seems like almost fiction. I don't I don't <laughs> I don't believe it has anything yeah. to do with Joni Mitchell's actual life. So she's writing from a completely third person type of it. But yet it just like I say, there's just so much you can do with. She just shows you can do a lot with just these few details you can really vividly paint this picture yeah and and you mentioned the a little money riding on the maple leaves so just keep in mind Joni might be in LA but you can't completely take the Canadian mm-hmm. out of yeah but I can say I think it's a great way to say that the guy sitting at this bar is from out of town yeah. I mean the hotels in New York he's got money on the nobody bets hockey but Canadians everybody knows that <laughs> so I mean she's <laughs> She's able to tell, she's able to get these details in where she wants them. And uh, it's just, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Mm. And I like at the end, one of my favorite parts that I I didn't kind of get at first, but towards the end, um, it sounds like the deal's not going to go through and she starts dropping the price. Like, I, I don't need a mink coat anymore. I mean, she started out really brash and body in the beginning. And at the end where it looks like he might get up and leave, she starts to, she starts to to to, to drop the price. Try we to should, give him a deal. We should just do an episode just on this this song alone. Like, yeah, because yeah. yeah, and I haven't even mentioned. So Robbie Robertson is playing guitar on this one, even though in my mind the the MVP for this song is Max Bennett on bass. Hmm. The bass on this one is the best one on the record for, for hmm. me. Um. Gillette, um, anything else, or did Wayne Wayne take it all? <laughs> you took you took you took a lot, but I mean, it was a really beautifully analyzed, you know, job you did. Or <laughs> this sentence is coming out of my mouth right now. Um, <laughs> it's beautiful analysis, Wayne. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think this song is a really great example of how versatile an artist Joni really 
is. And um, it does not feel like her to me. And I think that's why I didn't give it a very high score because it's always just felt like I'm not listening to Joni Mitchell anymore. But if I take my Joni Mitchell super fan out, then I can see the brilliance of it and of her. And if I think if I had come to this record later in life first, that song probably would have hit me really differently than it did yeah. as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. It. So in the, in the context, this is where sometimes our, our scoring works in our favor because I feel like if we were just talking about this album in general, you would probably say this song doesn't belong on this record. Like mm-hmm. it's so out of character for the rest of the record, but because we're scoring each of the songs, um, this is a 10 for me. I Wow. Yeah, I dig it. It's lyrically um, and musically, I think it's just, it's a great song. It's a great song. So, Wayne, what do you got for score? Like I say, at one point, I thought this was my f- favorite, and I think it was the initial, my initial listenings, it was so different. And I loved what she was, what she was doing. Um, but I didn't think that it held up uh, as much over time when you, the more you listen to some of these other songs, um, I dropped this down to an eight. Hmm. Okay. And then Gillette? I gave it a three. It's all good. And yeah. yeah. There you go. You, you, you gave your reasons. It's okay. You know, yeah. It's okay. Yeah. No, I stand behind Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right. Trouble Child, second and last song. This has a lot of of guest appearances. I tried to, to look up all of them. So Chuck Finley on the trumpet, Dennis Budimir on electric guitar, um, and he worked with a ton of of jazz greats. So he worked with um, Ella Fitzgerald, if I if I remember correctly. Wow. And then Jim Hug Hugart, am I saying that right? So he he also worked with Ella Fitzgerald, mm. and he learned how to play the bass from Carol Kay. Wow! Um, and he was also the sideman for Tom Waits for a number of years. So so there you go. <laughs> More information on personnel than you ever wanted to know. Maybe I looked at it because this was not one of the songs that really did much for me. Yeah. Either of you guys? I, I like it. I, I guess I like it lyrically. I mean, uh, and for for the story, because um, it starts out with that up, up in a sterilized room, which had this like a abortion clinic feel. And then it's going, then it mentions a dragon. So then it's like, is it a rehab? And then it starts kind of painting a picture of uh, what's that one line about when you're this weak and this spacey and you can't live life 
and you can't leave it. So then it felt like, um, like not, this is clearly not a county mental facility. This is fancy, like her parents, somebody's put her here, and it's not, it's definitely not voluntary. But there's well, uh, she makes a reference to Malibu in it, so I'm assuming it's yeah, I in mean, that space. And like I say, once it feels like a very uh, a not so voluntary mental health mm-hmm. retreat or resort of some sort, that this person is not entirely convinced they belong there. I mean, they obviously have some issues with, and I think, like I say, I think there's some substance. Uh, and, but I, when you use dragon or horse, I'm, always gonna, I'm obviously going to think of that. But uh, I just liked, uh, I like, like say once again, she's telling a story, and it may not be the most interesting story. And I, I guess in this, in a lot of ways, there's not enough details to make it as vivid as some of the others. But I still enjoyed it a lot, and I think it sets up the last song yeah. perfectly. All right. Mm-hmm. Anything, Gillette? Yeah, I'm with you. It's. It's, I think it's the, I think it's my second to least favorite moment on the record. Um, but, you know, that says, that still means that it's a beautiful song because it's Joni Mitchell and yeah. this record is amazing. Um, but yeah, you definitely get the picture that if this is her, she's, um, she feels like she's being held hostage in, in some way in this little ivory tower she's in this is my least favorite wayne your score a four gillette a two okay and then let's wrap this up this is twisted and i knew that he thought i was crazy but i'm not my analyst told me that i was right out of my head he said i need treatment but I'm not that easily led He said I was the type that was most inclined Went out of his sight to be out of my mind And he thought I was nuts No more ifs or ands or buts They say as a child I This is a bit not a Joni song Did I read this right? Uh, Annie Ross? It wasn't written like Lyrics the 40s? Annie Ross? Yeah, it's from, from 1949 I didn't do a whole lot of research because this was like my second to least favorite. But who's on this one? Cheech and Chong. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyways, it's just a weird song. Uh, like I really, I I wish that they would have maybe stopped at raised on robbery. Uh, I would have yeah. been. A, I would have been okay with that. The last two songs to me feel more like B sides than anything else. Still okay, but felt like B-sides. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's this funny thing that, like, kind of comes out of me sometimes. There's this, like, jazzy show tune thing that comes out of me sometimes. And I kind of let it happen and then need to, like, rein it in. Because ultimately, that's not what I want to listen to. And I think that there are certain instances where that feels really fun. But with, like... Joni and Carol King and and these women of that era that have been a big part of my musical education there is there is that thing I mean Carol King never really gets jazzy in this way but like um I feel like this is one of those moments for Joni that I, I wish she had just kind of 
gone, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm yeah. not going to put it out. <laughs> I'm just going to let it happen. It's fun to sing. <laughs> or, or rearrange it, because I think... Yeah, I think what she, I think there is a, she is saying something about, um, like, cause the, the, the lines about, uh, Edison and Einstein, I mean, and being laughed at first. And so the idea that just because someone doesn't get you doesn't mean you're, you're crazy just because someone doesn't understand what you're trying to say or, or your personality, the, the part about the wild child. So I get, I think it works perfect, especially coupled with the last song, but I agree, you know, this Andrew sister's big band jazzy thing like she could have taken the lyrics and and the, and and rearranged it into a different and something i guess fit her better than this but i i like what i like is the i is the idea that just because someone doesn't get you or just because the you know the establishment or what's supposed to be you know oh right or okay is you're not displaying it doesn't make you crazy or or ridiculous or anything. And so I thought she flipped that. She kind of flipped that on its head. But yeah, the, the Andrews sister jazzy thing, I like to say if she'd have rearranged it and done it in a, something that I think was more suited to what she typically does. Yeah. Mm. I did get a quote from some interview that she did in 1974. Did you guys, did you guys read this quote? No. All right. Um, somebody must've had the same opinion that we did of, why are you putting this on your record? Because um, <laughs> she said, um, I, I've always loved this song. It went through analysis for a while this year, and the song is about analysis. I figured that I earned the right to sing it. I tried to put it on the last record, which was For the Roses, but it was totally inappropriate. It had nothing to do with that time period, and some of my friends feel it has nothing to do with this album either. It's added like an encore. It makes me like it more. Yeah. So, you know, I, I threw out there, the, this is the B-side. Well, maybe this is the encore, and or maybe that's her parting shot. I'm Joni Mitchell, and I can do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> I mean. You know, maybe that's part of it, too. So. Try and stop me. Producing my own records. What are you going to do that's about right. it? That's right. What right? are you going to do? All right. So this is my two. Wayne, your score? A three. And then Gillette? One. All right. So this is uh, this is the point where I go. Did we miss anything? Did we cover everything? I think we did. Yeah. I think we covered it. All right. Um, Pretty any, thorough. Any guesses on number one? Um, <laughs> help me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Help help me. Average score of ten point six six. Second favorite car on a hill. Average score of nine. nine. Free Man in Paris, that is our number three with an average score of eight. Fourth is Down to You, average score of 7.33. And then rounding out our top five is Race on Robbery, which gets an average score of seven. So Gillette tried to tank it for us out of the <laughs> top five. But you guys are going to you're gonna make me um, listen to that song differently now. Okay. Well, that's go. good. That's good. Perfect. That's good. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> thanks for joining us. Yeah, this was yeah, great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, all right. So tell people where they can find all the happenings of Gillette Johnson. Well, I've got a website, GilletteJohnson.com. That's Gillette with a J, spelled like the razor, but with a J. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, also, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and it's all just Gillette Johnson. There we go. All right. Last question that we threw out to all of our guests. Uh, who do you know that I don't know who should join us on this podcast to talk about one of their favorite records? Hmm. And you can't say Maggie Rose because you know, <laughs> we already know her. So. Do you know Jamie Wyatt? We do not. She's awesome. Okay. And she'll be a riot. She's, she's really fun. she a music nerd? Yeah, she's a music nerd. She's okay. a particularly a country music nerd. Okay. Yeah, she's awesome. Okay. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll chat offline. Make that happen. All right. As a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes by going to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. I'm on Twitter and Facebook. Just look for us for Records Revisited Podcast on Facebook at Podcast Records on Twitter. Wayne, you're on the Instagram page. Where can people find you there? At Records Revisited Podcast. Pretty easy. And, of course, find us on all the major podcast platforms. Uh, we're on Apple, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Spotify, wherever you can find quality podcasts. You can find us there. And I can totally hear your cat purring at this point. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's, it's 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 cool. You did say an hour and a half. It's been almost an hour and a half. So the, the, the cat is ready to rock and roll. All right. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. I would tell you to go to live show, but you know the drill on that. So please go support all of your favorites on any of the live stream events they might be doing. And hopefully we can get back out there soon. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a record. You can go visit a record store. Just mask up. Be safe. Do the socially distance thing, okay? And um, maybe you should go out and buy a record from um, a certain guest that we had on today. We are Records Revisited, and we are... Out! out. See, I told you it wouldn't be <laughs> together. <laughs>